Well, hello and welcome to Church Online. I'm so glad that you're part of our experience today. I know Caitlin has already greeted you, but if you're our guest watching or listening for the first time, we just want to welcome you here to Cultivate Church Online. I'm really excited about today. We're kicking off a brand new series called The Good Book. We're going to be talking about the number one best-selling book of all time. Maybe you've heard about it. Maybe you've read it before. Maybe you know some stories from this book. It's called the Bible. And I understand that in our culture, uh, the Bible is one of the most divisive books, the most debated books, the most um, hated books of all. Yet, it is the number one bestseller. It is the most popular book of all time, even though it creates a lot of division in our culture. Some people believe that the Bible has good things or good teachings or good principles, but it's not necessarily the roadmap for life. Some people believe that there are some truths to the Bible, and then there are some things that maybe are man-made. Some people believe the Bible is full of errors. Some believe that there are no errors in the Bible. Some of us have an easy time receiving Jesus, but we have a hard time receiving God's Word. And so today, as we begin this journey over the next few weeks together in the good book, today I titled your message, Believing the Bible. I want to help you understand the very foundation of our faith in the Word of God. That if we're going to follow Christ, we have to follow His Word. And we have to know the validity of the Word of God. And in the midst of our culture, when there's so much division surrounding the topic of the Bible, how do we know what's true and what's not? How do we know what to trust and what not to trust? Well, today I hope to encourage you in the validity of Scripture. I hope to give you a basis of your understanding, a basis of your belief in God's Word and prevent you from having doubt and walking in doubt when it comes to the Word of God. And all of this scripture is coming out of 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. This is the foundational verse of our series. And here's what it says. All scripture, so from the front to the back, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, all Scripture, so from the beginning to the end, everything in between, we receive it. At Cultivate Church, we embrace the totality of the Word of God. So if the Bible says it, we believe it and we stand on it. We don't ask for Scripture to conform to our lives, our thoughts, our feelings, our emotions, or what makes us happy. No, we conform our lives to what the Word of God says. So anything that the Bible teaches us, we embrace it. And we ask God for wisdom and understanding so that we can walk in it. All scripture is God-breathed. As I'm talking to you today, the breath of my lungs is moving across my vocal cords, which produces the sounds and the words in which you're hearing me say. The very breath of God spoke these words across generations so that you and I would have the road map for life. It's the very word from God to our lives to teach us and correct us and to show us the right way so that we would know how to live. It's to equip us in doing every good work. And so today, my hope for you is that as we move into this, 
we would learn to embrace the Word of God, and today we would know how to stand on the validity of the Word of God. Now, I feel like smoking the bandit today. We've got a long way to go, a short time to get there. I've got a lot of content that I want to bring to you today. And I also want to let you know I'm not a historian. I'm not a great theologian. Uh, I'm not a scientist, but there are lots of incredibly smart people with lots of great resources that have been written, that have been studied. There are great findings historically uh, across generations that I want to bring to you today. So I've done a lot of research. I've done the work for you. And I want to bring it to the table today, and I want to share with you some things that I believe are important to understand about the Bible and the Word of God. So I want to pray for us that we can embrace what God says. Let's buckle up, get ready to receive all of this today. And so I encourage you to grab a pen, grab some paper. If you're on a digital device, get ready to take some notes. So Father, I love you. What a beautiful day. God, thank you for this moment that we get to share online through podcasts that we gather together today to discover about the good book, to learn about your word. Help us to believe the Bible. Open our minds, open our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's a few things that I want you to know about the Bible. Number one, I want you to write this down. The Bible is truth. The Bible is truth. Notice what the scripture says here in Proverbs 30 and 5. It says, every word of God proves true. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, the Bible calls itself true. What kind of, well, I mean, what kind of proof is that? What kind of statement when you say to yourself that you're true? But the Bible says that every word of God proves itself true. I want you to underline that word proves because I think that's important. See, every word of God proves itself. See, God knew that we would naturally have doubt. Doubt came from the garden when the enemy said, did God really say? When the enemy approached Eve, all he did was sow a seed of doubt. And from that doubt, she acted in it and so became sin. The enemy doesn't want us to receive the truth of God's Word because it's life-changing. It draws us to God. It changes us from the inside out through the power of the Word. So God wants us to know that every word of the Bible can be proven true. And I want to give you a few uh, examples of that. And the first thing I would want you to write down is historically. We have historical evidence that the Bible has proven itself true over and over again. You see, the Bible is a historical document. It is documented from eyewitnesses, and I think that's incredibly important to understand. Maybe write that down. There's eyewitness accounts of the Bible. The very authors of the Bible are people who were there who experienced it themselves. You see, in a court of law, if you take a case, if you have a claim that you bring... If there are witnesses to your claim, you have a greater chance of winning your case and your argument if you have eyewitnesses. And the more eyewitnesses you have means more proof. And so throughout Scripture, we have so many people who have written these documents over time that provides proof of God's Word. There were four Gospels written by men who were there. The four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they were written by the men who experienced them themselves. Notice what John said himself in John chapter 21, verses 24 and 25. He said, This disciple is the one who testifies to these events and has recorded them here. And we know that his account of these things is accurate. 
And I'm going to throw verse 35 because I love it. Jesus also did many other things. If they were all written down, I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that would be written. Here John is saying, I want you to know that I was here. I witnessed it. I saw this. What I have recorded is what I have seen with my own eyes. I have experienced it in my own life. And as a matter of fact, the amount of things that Jesus has done, the world could not contain the books written if everything that we have witnessed of Jesus was recorded. John wrote this because he was there. He was an eyewitness. Moses was there when the Red Sea was split. He's not just repeating something that he heard about, not just a generational uh, big fish story, you know, where the fish is this big, but it ends up this big as it travels. No, Moses was there. He walked across on dry land. We have eyewitness accounts. Another thing that I would want you to know historically is that these documents, as they were written, they were copied with extreme care. You see, the Bible was written in letters. It wasn't written in books and by verses. They, they wrote these letters and they were compiled over time. And as these people would write this down, these eyewitnesses, over time, they were copied from generation to generation. And I thought this was really incredible. Did you know that people who transcribed the Scripture said that they had to be freshly bathed, so they had to take a bath, be bathed clean before they could begin uh, uh, transcribing and scribing these. Uh, they had to be in full Jewish dress before beginning to copy the scrolls. And they would even know the number of letters used in one book. So if they were to count all the letters, if the, you know, the, the, the book of Exodus, they would know how many letters are in that book. And if there was one letter off, they would throw it all away and they would start all over. They could tell you the very center letter of the sentence. They knew down to the tiniest of details as they copied every one of these words. There's archaeological proof. There's, there's historical proof in digs and in findings. We have the Dead Sea Scrolls that were found between 1947 and 1956. Some 900 manuscripts were discovered uh, in 11 caves along the northwestern shore of the Dead Sea. Now check this out. Over 200 scrolls were portions of the Bible itself. And amazingly, every Old Testament book except the book of Esther was represented. So they literally found these scrolls, the Dead Sea Scrolls, copies of Scripture that validated everything that had been communicated across history. We have historical evidence. Not only that, write this down. We have scientific evidence. It is scientifically proven in Scripture. Look, they're not still, they're not still using the same uh, science books that they used, say, when you were in third grade. If I went back to the science books that we used when I was in school, it would be outdated. Why? Because science changes, but truth never changes. So you have to understand, there were things taught for centuries and generations scientifically that people based their life on, that they argued and said, the Bible cannot be true because it, it is opposite of what we find scientifically. But we have to be careful. Scripture says God knows more than we know. He has greater understanding than we do, and scientifically we see that. See, thousands of years ago, people would teach that the earth was flat. Nobody will, will try to argue that. That was the teaching and the acceptance of the day. That if you sailed to the edge of the earth, you would fall off the edge and you would disappear. 
But we have learned uh, that we don't teach that anymore. Now we know that the earth is a sphere, that it is a globe. But if they just read scripture, if they just accepted the word of God in Isaiah 40, 22, he said this, God is enthroned above the sphere of the earth. It was written in scripture. The information was already there. When scientifically they were trying to debunk the Bible, spiritually, scripturally, it was already in place. Different cultures, you remember maybe uh, hearing this in school, they used to teach that the earth had to be held up, that something was literally holding the earth. The Greeks used to teach that Atlas, the man with the earth on his back, that because of punishment for his life, he had to endure the weight of the earth on his very own back. It was believed. Many cultures used to embrace that in some form or fashion. However, the Bible in Job chapter 26 verse 7 says, God stretches the northern sky over empty space and hangs the earth on nothing. It was scientifically proven. Even when people were arguing another way, the Bible scientifically from the wisdom and word of God gave us the truth of God's word. Not only is it historically accurate, is it uh, scientifically accurate, but it is also prophetically being able to speak into things that are to come. This is amazing to me. Over 300 Jesus-related prophecies were fulfilled. So long before the life of Jesus, before he was born, details about the very Son of God was spoken generations before his arrival, and some 300 prophecies were fulfilled by Jesus himself. The last prophecy was given 400 years before Jesus was even born. David prophesied that Jesus would be crucified, and crucifixion had not even been invented yet. Crucifixion had not even been used as a form of death, a form of punishment. But yet David was able to say Jesus would die in the form of crucifixion. There are many prophecies. They told where Jesus would be born. That's exactly what happened. They told that Jesus would be born of a virgin. That's exactly what happened. They said that Jesus would be betrayed by a friend. It happened. That was Judas. He said he would be silent before his accusers. The Bible records that. That as they tried to get Jesus to say something, Jesus would not even speak a word. He just took the punishment and the abuse. It was foretold long before Jesus was even born. It said that he would be beaten and spat upon. It said he would be crucified with criminals. All of these things happened. Over 300 Jesus-specific, Jesus-specific prophecies were fulfilled. That is absolutely incredible. What are the odds of that happening? Well, somebody did a study, and here's what they said. They said, imagine the state of Texas covered in silver dollars. And they were two feet thick in silver dollars all over the state of Texas. And they mark one coin. And then they take one person blindfolded and they place him in the middle of those coins, uh, coins and say, search all across the state and just pick a coin and see if you can find the one that it's marked on. It's virtually impossible, right? I mean, that's near impossible. There's no way that could happen. Well, they say out of just eight of the 300 some odd prophecies, that would be the odds that would have taken for one of those for eight of those to come true yet Jesus fulfilled over 300 of those 
prophecies. What does that mean for us today? It means that in every area of attack on the validity of Scripture, we can see across history, across science, across prophecy, that there are so many signs of validity in every arena of understanding and education that the Bible is truth. You need to know that your Bible is truth. Number two, you need to understand that your Bible is tried. Write down that word. It has been tried. Notice what the Bible says. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. You see, culture is in a continual pursuit to bash the Bible, to belittle the Bible, and to ban the Bible. Culture is trying to eliminate the Word of God from our lives. It has been tried. It has been pressurized. It has been attacked from every side. It has been attacked by people who claim to be historians, claim to be scientists, claim to be religious. It has been attacked in every way. Today, in our culture, we have this big movement of people picking and choosing what they want from Scripture, saying that it is subjective. It means something for me, and it means something different from you. We see that even in our mainline churches coming from platforms with pastors preaching a message on a Sunday. It has been tried in every way, but I want you to know that Scripture is truth. We stand on the validity and the entirety, the totality of the Word of God, even in the midst of it being tried. Look, they've tried to take Scripture out of school. You can't take your Bible to school. They took the Ten Commandments from our courtroom. They say, you can't say Merry Christmas anymore. Think about it. You have to say Happy Holidays if you're going to be politically correct. Why? Because we don't want to put any emphasis on the Bible, on the stories of the Bible. But I want you to know something. Even as the Bible has been tried, even as the Bible has been put on trial and has been attacked in every way, you need to know some things about the Bible. There are 66 books in the Bible that have been, that have been brought together to give us the entirety, the totality of Scripture. 66 books. There are 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 books in the New Testament, and here's where it gets really interesting. There are 40 authors who were inspired by God who wrote these books. 40 different men who heard the voice of God through the power of the Holy Spirit's prompting to write down the words of God to us. Now, here's where it gets interesting. It was written across three different uh, language, uh, three different continents in three different languages across 1,500 years. Now, Many of you can remember maybe sitting in a room, maybe you've done this exercise where you whisper to one person and you tell them uh, one sentence and they have to pass it around the room. It's always different from here to the end. It's never the same sentence. No one can get it right. But you remember they, they copied the scripture so carefully. Now, 40 authors across three continents in three different languages yet over 1,500 years, it still contains one theme and one message. Now, that may be possible if one person could travel three continents, if one person could speak the three languages, if one person wrote the entirety of the book. But if you and I, across that span, across those barriers, were to write one book together, I doubt that it would be very cohesive. Yet one theme and one message. Even though the Bible has been tried 
all of these centuries, it has stood the test of time. The standard of truth, which is the Bible, has stood the test of time. Why? Because it is the truth, the absolute truth, the very foundation, the God-breathed message to you and to me. The Bible is truth. The Bible is tried. In other words, it's been proven. And then number three, you need to know this, that the Bible is trusted. The Bible is trusted. Look at this scripture with me. In Matthew 5, 18, here's what Jesus says. He says, For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Now let's unpack that for just a second together. Now we have to understand this is Jesus speaking about the validity of Scripture, believing the Bible. Jesus is weighing in, giving us his opinion. Now I love what Jesus says because Jesus says, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not even the smallest tiny detail of the collection of these 66 books giving us the Bible, one message and one theme, not even the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, by any means will disappear until everything has been accomplished. This word is what we are to build our life on because it is valid and it is true. Now, some people would say, look, I'm cool with Jesus. I can receive Jesus. I can get on board with the acceptance of, of Jesus. He was a good guy, did a lot of great things. He's taught us a lot of really uh, good information. But the Bible, I don't know if I can get on board with that. Because if the Bible seems maybe confusing. The Bible maybe seems countercultural to what we live in today. There are things in the Bible that maybe make me uncomfortable. There are things in the Bible that don't line up with what I want to do. Yet Jesus, if he's going to be our authority... We have to accept the things that Jesus accepts. We have to embrace what Jesus embraced. We have to do what Jesus did. We have to live as Jesus calls us to live. And in the context of this conversation, when it comes to the validity of the Bible, believing the Bible, living the Bible, accepting the Bible, building our lives on the Bible, Jesus says not even the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will disappear until everything has been accomplished. Now, we understand that the Bible can be trusted because Jesus trusted it. Yet there are many skeptics who will argue certain things that they say just couldn't be true. Uh, one of those being Noah and the ark. Many of you have heard the story of Noah and the ark. Most people, even if they don't attend church, has heard the story of Noah and the ark. You have uh, a man named Noah. God speaks to him and says, the earth is going to flood. You need to build a big boat, and you're going to collect two of every animal on the planet. You're going to load them on this boat with your family. All of mankind is going to perish in this storm. They will drown as the earth floods. And then after an amount of time, the floods will subside, the rain will disappear, and you will come out walking on dry land. You will have saved humanity. You will rebuild the population of the world. And all of the animals will be saved because of your family. Because the whole world is sinful. Noah, you and your family are the only ones found without sin. Now, many people will argue this in every capacity. 
Some people will argue this scientifically. Some people will argue this historically. Some people would try to argue this in terms of the surroundings and nature and the weather and all the logistics of a boat and how all this would work. People will argue this. Is it a good story with a good principle? Is it just something that is written in the Bible because somebody had a bad dream, ate too much pizza, and wrote something crazy? Well, no. We see in Scripture in Luke 17, verses 26 and 27, Jesus references Noah. He speaks of Noah. He says, as it was in the days of Noah. Look, we have to understand that as Jesus speaks about someone and something, recalling Scripture and the stories of Scripture, Jesus trusted it, so can we. Jonah and the whale. Many of you have heard that story where Jonah is swallowed by a great fish and he lives in the fish until the fish spits him out of his mouth and the guy survives the whole thing. Well, there are so many uh, debates about could he survive in there. People say there's no way he couldn't live in a fish. They say, well, is it, is it theoretical? Maybe there's a bigger picture. It's not really literal. It's not a literal story. Well, Matthew chapter 12, verse 38 through 42, Jesus discusses Jonah and the whale. Jesus trusted the validity of Scripture. Jesus trusted the totality of Scripture. Jesus trusted these stories and these principles, these guiding lights for our life, and so should we. We're told that the Bible is a lamp unto our feet. It guides us and it directs us because Scripture is truth. It's been tried and it has still stood the test of time. It has been trusted by the one that we trust our salvation with. That's Jesus. So where he puts his trust, so will I. Who am I to argue? I can't pick and choose. I can't choose the things I want and discard the things that I don't know. I embrace the totality of a relationship with Jesus. He becomes my Savior. Then I make him my Lord, and I surrender my life to him. And if he walked by the validity of the word of God, so will I. And then number four, this is the most important for us today that I hope you walk away with today is that the Bible is transforming. The Bible is transforming. Notice what the Bible says. John 8, 31 and 32, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. What a powerful verse of Scripture. What a powerful statement that Jesus makes to us. Jesus said to those who believed in him, you're truly my disciples. In other words, let's stop for just a second and ask ourselves, are we truly a disciple of Jesus? If we're truly a disciple of Jesus, we'll remain faithful, underline that, we'll remain faithful to what? To his teachings. Where are his teachings? It's in Scripture. Jesus embraced the totality of Scripture. Jesus gave us direction and words and, uh, and, and, and wisdom through the Scripture. So we must remain faithful to the teachings. And then you will know the truth. And then what happens? The truth will do what? Set you free. Why? Because Scripture, the Bible, is transforming. It has power to transform your life. 
I'm asking you today, have you considered Scripture as just a book? The Bible is just a historical document. The Bible is something that just has some good stories or some good wisdom or maybe some, uh, some really crazy thoughts or crazy opinions or crazy beliefs or the Bible's for those people, but it doesn't really apply to me. Have you been picking and choosing from God's Word? Have you been subjective with the Bible and just embracing what makes you feel good or what you just understand? Or have you allowed the Bible to be transforming in your life? Have you said, I'm going to be faithful to the teachings of God so that the truth would set me free. As a young teenager, uh, growing up in church, you know, I was taught all the stories. I did Sunday school when I was a kid. We had Sunday school back in those days, and I learned all the Bible stories, and people taught me stuff about the Bible, and I knew about the Bible. I knew stories of the Bible. I read my Bible, but it was always something that was attached to, you know, my faith. It was like the thing over there. It was the Bible. I knew it was important, and I trusted it as the Word of God. But as an early teenager, going through some difficulty in my life is when I really experienced the transforming power of the Bible. I believed it to be truth. I knew it had been tried. I knew all of these things, but maybe it hadn't been so transforming yet. But as a young teenager struggling, I can remember saying, God, I don't want to do this anymore. I've been praying. I've been living the best I know how to live. I've been obedient to you. I mean, I'm doing my best, but all these other people out there, they do anything they want to do, and they, they're fine. Like, God, they seem better off than I do, and they're not even trying to serve you. And I was so frustrated. I'm so mad at God, if I'm honest. And I said, God, I just need to know what do I need to do here because I don't want to do this anymore. And true story, I opened my Bible, just randomly, I opened it up, and right when I opened the page, it was Psalm 73, and I read Psalm 73. And that entire psalm was literally the words that I had just spoken to God. The author of this chapter is expressing his um, disappointment and his circumstance and his frustration that people that weren't following God were, 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 they were doing good and they were, they were making positive ground and yet he felt like he was about to slip and fall away. And that's where I was. And it was literally like God speaking directly to me. And in that moment, I said, God, your word is true. I can trust it. What a miracle that you used this book to speak directly to me. God's word is transforming. I want to read it to you one more time, and I want you to take a look with me. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, Today do you believe in him? You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Today I want you to know the truth, and the truth is this. God loves you so much, and his word is a gift to you. It is a, is it a book of uh, a chase of relationship, really. It's a pursuit of God's desire to have a personal relationship with you. He loved you enough that when sin separated us, He sent His Son Jesus into the world to reconnect us to a relationship with God. And today, this word is trustworthy. We can believe the Bible. And if you're walking in doubt today, I hope this opened a door to belief. If you've been picking and choosing, what you want from the Bible, I pray that this has brought you back to a moment of truth to embrace the totality of the Word 
of God. Maybe you're watching or you're listening today and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. Well, I want you to know today is your day. I want to pray for you. I want to give you an opportunity to place your faith and your life into the hands of Jesus. So can I pray for you today? Father, thank you for all of my friends watching online right now. God, I pray that you'd speak to every single person who is watching or who is listening. I pray if there's one of us that does not have a personal relationship with you, that today would be our day. We ask you to forgive us of any sin that is in our life. We make a decision to give our life to you and to submit to you. And we thank you for loving us and we thank you for relationship. And God, I pray for any of us that are walking in doubt. I pray for those who are walking in disbelief. I pray for those who are walking in division over the word. I pray that the truth and life-changing, transforming power of your word would invade our life today, that we could place our faith totally in you. Thank you for the gift of the word. Jesus, we love you and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I want to encourage you, don't miss a week of our series. Next week, we're going to teach you how to study the Bible. In weeks ahead, we're going to learn some things that Jesus told us specifically in his word. And also we're going to learn the very principles and promises that are given to us out of God's word. It's going to be an incredible journey together as we go through the good book. Thank you for being a part of this series today.